the share the enjoyment and uh, if somebody could get a tree uh, that would be good and I'll uh, kind of just uh, uh, yes okay super so uh, we will need that by, uh, by obviously by Saturday so that's good uh, uh, the, the next announcement of note is the uh, toilets are not working. We did have the uh, we did have the plumbers come in and uh, and do the work on the getting the toilets hooked up and all. But uh, uh, the alarm went off uh, earlier this week, and so we're uh, working on that right now. Uh, but I did want to just say uh, thank you to everybody that's uh, been working on the addition. Uh, since we hadn't been here for a while, I hadn't been out there until just a few days ago. So it's, it's looking fantastic. And uh, so just want to say uh, thank you to everyone there. Uh, and the uh, bathrooms, uh, the plumbing in the bathroom and the kitchen are mostly done, except for the uh, bathroom in the, uh, I mean the uh, uh, sink in the uh, one of the bathrooms but uh, they're looking really good. And the last big thing that we're going to need to be doing in the next uh, month or two is uh, to be putting the floor down. And so we've been uh, talking with a couple of different flooring contractors and getting some prices uh, just to kind of get an idea. And if you know of another flooring contractor that does a good job, uh, let us know and we will contact them as well and uh, we've already con contacted Parentos and uh, Josephs. And so if anybody knows anybody else that does uh, uh, flooring, uh, let us know uh, and talk with one of the deacons or the trustees. Uh, let's see, we do have some vegetables up back. If you uh, would like to have some uh, fresh uh, fruits and vegetables, they're up there someplace, I'm not sure where. Uh, on the back table. Okay, oh, yeah. there they are. I see them. Uh, let's see. And uh, Operation Christmas Child, you can see that uh, the announcements uh, in your bulletin here. And I was just, uh, the last announcement I had was to just be in prayer for uh, those that are ill right now. I was thinking uh, particularly of Herm uh, and Lester and then uh, Steve Wadsworth and uh, Wayne Diefenbacher came to mind. Uh, so let's uh, continue to be in prayer for them this morning. Any other announcements that need to be made? Yes, Donna. Right, okay, 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 wonderful, okay, excellent. Well, it's, a, it's good to be here, I think. Um, it's always a joy to be here in the pulpit and uh, to fellowship. Uh, any other announcements this morning? All right, Dean, would you, Dean is going to come up and uh, open in prayer and, uh, and read the scripture, Dean. Good morning. Um, I would like to start out by reading Psalm 100, if we could, please. 
why didn't I have it marked? I don't know. Psalm 100, shout out for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Thank you for that. Amen. Um, And we will, I'll try to do a little prayer if everybody wants to bow. We come together as, as a body of believers as we worship our Lord and Savior. We ask for his forgiveness and let him into our hearts so we can calm our nerves and our anxiety, especially in these times. We ask that you watch over our pastor Ian as he brings the word from our Lord to our our parsonage. We pray that in in his name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. I heard the, uh, I just heard the, um, the furnace turn off. And I was just, uh, I just was struck by that and uh, how thankful I am at this uh, Thanksgiving season to be warm. And I see some are warmer than others. That's good, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so <laughs> I, I, am, I am cold quite often, always, and, uh, and so to be in a, in a warm place uh, with God's people is, uh, is just really awesome, and uh, just thankful for that. Let's stand and sing number 63, All Creatures of Our God and King, and let's just sing verses 1, 2, and 5. One, two, and five, and then... All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Alleluia, Alleluia, the burning sun with golden beams. Sailing and along, oh, 
to number 324 when I survey the wondrous cross. How many verses are there? Let's sing all four verses. If I can make it through. When I survey the There are a few songs uh, that I'm not able to sing, so. and that's one of them. I'm sorry, one of my favorite songs. And now would the uh, ushers please come forward for the morning offering.
Father, we thank you again for this beautiful day that you've given to us and for how much we have to be thankful for. We think of our salvation. We thank of this church. We think of our, our tithes and offerings that we can give to you and we realize that all that we have comes from you. We pray that you would take these offerings, you would bless them and multiply them, and we pray that you would help us to be generous givers and that because everything that we have does come from you. So we pray that you would take this offering and multiply it and bless it uh, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And let's remain standing, and we will sing, Is He Worthy?
is Does the Father truly love us? He does Does the Spirit move among us? He does And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of our blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? He is. He is. seated. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. We're going to spend some time together now uh, in prayer to our God our king. We've got uh, one prayer request card here in the, uh, the offering. Any other prayer requests we want to bring to God this morning? Allison. As always. As always. Allison's sister, Andrea. So if you didn't hear that, 36 boxes for Operation Christmas Child, and that's, uh, that's a record, right, for us? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So 36 boxes, and be praying for, for all the, the children overseas. We're going to receive those boxes, and uh, um, particularly um, that they would uh, respond to um, the, the gospel presentation that will accompany those, and there's a whole class, basic discipleship class that those kids will have an opportunity to be a part of. So I'll be praying for the kids who receive your boxes and all of our boxes and and that whole ministry is, I'm sure, the millions of boxes going across the world. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we'll be praying for those boxes. Uh, Mil, uh, Bill and Millie Burke aren't here today. Millie's under the weather, 
Uh, she says, it's not the virus, but she's, uh, she's not feeling well, so pray for her. Dean. Mm. So Dean's sister, Diana, she's just in the screening process um, for, okay, so pray that the, the scans come back and there's no cancer. Christina. be praying for her. Randy's mom, Donna, who's having some kidney issues. Nancy. Amen. Mm. Amen. Yeah, for our nation, for our president, all the turmoil, for a revival. Yeah. Tanya. Some safe travels for your, your nephew, KJ, and his fiance Nona, as they travel back to California. Great. Any other prayer requests or thanksgivings? Okay. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of those kinds of cancellations happening, unfortunately. Yeah, Matt. It was just a bridge that I made at the uh, wedding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, no COVID, but um, upon returning, I have been hearing more and more friends and family say how they were feeling odd and mm. thought that it didn't seem real before, but now it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you back, Matt. And healthy. <laughs> let's uh, let's go to our God in prayer. God, our Father, we come to you this morning with songs of gladness. We come into your presence with singing, because we know that you are God. You made us, and we are yours. We are your people the sheep of your pasture. And so we want to enter your presence this morning with praise to you. You are great, and you are mighty, and you are worthy to be praised. And as we approach you uh, and your glory, we're made, we're made aware of our own sinfulness. You've, uh, you've given us your perfect law that we should love and serve you only. We shouldn't worship or serve anything in place of or above you. You've told us that we should keep your name holy. We should set aside time to worship you. 
You've told us how to live one, among one another, how to love and serve each other well without anger or deceit, malice or covetousness, and without any hint of impurity. And yet we confess, Father, that um, we fall short of this standard. We haven't loved you perfectly or served you with our whole hearts. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. So we confess now silently the sins which your Holy Spirit even now is convicting us of. We want to bring it all into the light and be honest. We come into the light as you are in the light as we come to your, your word. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus' name. Uh, we thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. And we, we rest on the fact that in Jesus, those of us who have come to him in faith, that our, our sins have been cast as far away from us as the east is from the west, and you remember them no more. We thank you, Father, for the blessing of knowing Jesus. We thank you for the gospel, the good news of the cross, and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus' name. In this Thanksgiving season, we, we're reminded of the many ways that you've blessed us. We're reminded to be thankful for you. As has been said already this morning, everything we have and everything we are is from you. Every gift, every good gift is from above, from the Father of lights. We thank you, Father, for caring for us in every way, for supplying us our, our needs, for food and for warmth, and um, even giving us enough to be able to share with those who are in need. We Thank you, especially this week, for the gift of family. We ask that you would not, that you would help us not to take our loved ones for granted, but that you'd teach us to love them and to thank you for each of them, even those that are hard to love. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you'd uh, bless this week, this Thanksgiving week, that even though um, our plans may have been modified in some ways, um, that uh, it would be an encouraging week of family and fellowship that this Thanksgiving season would be glorifying to you as we give thanks to you for all things. We come to you this morning, Father, with many uh, prayer requests and, and thanksgivings. A um, number of folks in our fellowship, Father, as you well know, um, who are, are sick in various ways. We, we, um, we lift up Herm to you, um, Herm Miller, who's not with us this morning. and um, We pray, Father, that uh, you'd strengthen him um, as he struggles uh, to breathe, struggles with kidney function, as the doctors are sort of at the end of their rope in terms of treatment. We pray that you'd be with Herm, you'd be with Donna, you'd strengthen both of them as they face the days ahead. Pray that uh, you'd give Herm more good days than bad ones as you encourage both of their hearts. We pray for Lester uh, and... Uh, Lord, what a, what a blow to hear that his surgery was supposed to be this week, but it was canceled, and uh, it's very discouraging for him. So we pray that you'd be with him, that uh, you'd give him a date soon for this really a life-saving surgery, um, and we pray that you'd strengthen both him uh, and Sharon. You'd be with them, shepherd their hearts. Thank you for the opportunities that we have to be able to serve and help them. 
Father, we thank you that Wayne Diefenbacher is home from the hospital, and uh, we uh, we pray that you'd give the doctors guidance as they're still trying to figure out what's going on, uh, and they don't have any clear answers yet. So we pray that there would be some clear answers this week and a clear treatment plan. Um, we pray for uh, for Dean's sister Diana as uh, she's uh, dealing with c- cancer screenings, and uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, the uh, the results would come back negative, and this would, this would all come to nothing. Uh, we pray that you'd uh, be with her through this process and comfort her and her family. Pray for the Barrows family. Um, we're going through a, a tough season now. Um, pray for Christina and Randy's kids. Um, pray that you'd be at work in their lives by your spirit, that you'd um, bring them to yourself. Pray for Randy's mom, Donna. Pray that the doctors would... Um, have wisdom to know what to do, how to help her, that you'd sustain her, Lord, until uh, a solution can be found, that uh, uh, that kidney stone wouldn't appear, that she'd be able to um, uh, to continue here on earth a, a, a while yet. Lord, we pray for KJ and for Nona as they, tr- uh, they leave and uh, travel out this week. We pray that uh, you'd give them your traveling mercies, that they'd arrive safely home. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Matt's back with us and uh, and COVID-free. We pray for all um, all of his friends and acquaintances and family who've uh, come down with the virus, and, and uh, Lord, we, we lift up all of those who are struggling with uh, um, this condition, um, and uh, we pray that a uh, solution will be found soon so that uh, we can, as a nation and as the world, put this virus behind us. Father, we thank you that Steve Wadsworth is home and out of the hospital. We've been lifting him up in prayer for weeks and weeks, and we're so thankful for your gracious graciousness to to him. It's a joy to see video of him on Facebook walking around and dancing, and so good, Lord, Uh, and such a a change from where he was a few weeks ago. So we're thankful uh, for that. We pray that you bring him back here among us soon. We lift up Andrea Littlefield. Pray that you'd sustain her physically and spiritually. We, we ask your blessing, Father, on, um, on our little church here on the hill in Liberty. And uh, we pray um, that you'd be at work among us. We, and we ask that boldly and confidently because we can look back across the years and see your faithfulness to this congregation and to this people. And uh, and the way that you've sustained um, this church for, for almost two centuries. And uh, we ask that you continue to do a mighty work here, that you'd revive us day by day, um, that uh, we would be salt and light in this community, that many would be reached for the gospel of Jesus. We ask that you'd sustain us in a, a difficult year with so much around us in the world, Lord, and um, so many among us who are sick and um, we ask that you sustain our church. In many ways, we're weary uh, and hurting. So we pray that you'd be with us, Father. Continue to shepherd and comfort us by your spirit. We pray for our nation, for our community. There's so much going, or going on in the world around us, so much craziness in this time. We pray, uh, we pray for revival. 
the there's things father going on in our society where people are calling what's evil good and calling what's good evil and it seems that there's there's never a week that goes by that we don't hear a news story we say have have we lost our minds we pray father that you'd revive this nation we know that the core problem of human society is the human heart and we know that what this nation needs and what we ourselves need is heart surgery by the power of your spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would strengthen your churches. We pray that you would strengthen uh, evangelical, Bible-believing churches in this area to continue to boldly meet and to preach the gospel. And we pray that there would be a powerful witness in Maine for the name of Jesus. We ask, Lord, that uh, you'd bring revival here in our lifetimes in a powerful way. We ask, Lord, that uh, whatever may be going on in the culture around us, that you'd keep us faithful, that you'd keep us on track, you keep us standing on your word, you keep us faithful in making Jesus known to those around us. We pray for our government and the turmoil uh, that's there in this time. We pray that um, you'd bless our president, Pray that you'd be with our Senate. Pray that you'd be um, with our House of Representatives. Pray that you'd be uh, with those who serve on the Supreme Court. Pray that you give all those who are in elected and appointed office wisdom to rule well um, and to lead wisely according to your wisdom and the right precepts of your law. That we would be able to live in a uh, live quiet and peaceful lives as Christians in this nation, you'd be able to continue to meet freely that your name would be known. Please, Father, even closest to home, we pray for our friends and our family who, are, who don't know you, who haven't met Jesus. And um, we, we ask, Father, that uh, their hearts would be opened to know you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some days I think back across the past year uh, and I think this year has just dragged on. <laughs> and yet in other ways, this, this year has flown right by. Um, if you can believe it, I know you're all aware, Thanksgiving is this Thursday. And if you can believe it, this coming Sunday, a week from today, will actually be the first Sunday of Advent. So Christmas is coming. There's only four more Sundays till Christmas and five more Sundays till the new year. Um, and starting this week and continuing through the end of December, uh, here on Sunday mornings, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. We're going to take a break from our series through Mark for Advent. And I'm, I'm cheating. I'm starting a, a week early. Isaiah is a great place for us to be during the Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. There's a ton of prophecy in Isaiah about Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Savior King who Isaiah prophesied was going to come and to save Israel and the whole world. And Jesus' Advent, Jesus' coming that we celebrate it at Christmas, uh, fulfilled those hopes for a savior. And we'll talk more about that uh, as we actually get into the first week of Advent next week. 
But this week, I want to introduce the book of uh, Isaiah to us with a, a passage that I pray will give us hope and peace in, uh, in the weariness of our crazy moment. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. You can open your Bibles there, Isaiah chapter 40. When I scheduled this passage last week, I had no idea how relevant it would feel today. This passage is good news for weary souls. Isaiah, we'll introduce the person of Isaiah to you. Isaiah was a prophet in the 8th century before Christ, and he did what prophets do. He spoke the words of God to the people of God. A prophet is a messenger speaking the word of God to the people of God. And Isaiah spoke to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, in the generations just before uh, Judah and Jerusalem, the, the last remaining outposts of the kingdom of Israel, fell to the Babylonian Empire. So Isaiah's prophesying just before that fall. And there's two main thrusts that come out in Isaiah's writings, which kind of sum up his teachings and the teachings of the prophets. And this is an oversimplification, but it's, it's helpful, I think. Two main thrusts. First, God is bringing judgment on his people by sending them into exile. And second, God will bring salvation to his people by bringing them out of exile and by establishing them forever through their Messiah King. So two main messages, judgment and salvation, exile and deliverance, woe and hope. And what's amazing about Isaiah is that he preached to the people about the coming judgment and then the salvation that would follow before any of it happened. When the kings of Judah were still living securely in their palace in Jerusalem, Isaiah had already foretold their downfall. And even before the kings and the people of Judah had been shipped off to exile, Isaiah had already spoken to them a word of hope, a comforting word of the salvation that was to come. Isaiah knew that God would one day save his people by sending them Messiah, a king who would come and reign eternally, that he would suffer for the sake of his people and usher in a kingdom which would never end. We'll talk, about, talk more about the Messiah King in the coming weeks. I'm really looking forward to our series for Advent. But this week we'll be in Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah 40 is a chapter of comfort addressed to the people of God. They've already heard the word of judgment. This is the word about salvation and hope. So we'll look at the first 11 verses of chapter 40, actually in a few weeks for one of our Advent sermons. But this week, we're going to look at the second part, verses 12 through 31. And again, this is a chapter that was meant to bring hope to Judah, to God's people, when they were in exile. Weary with life in a foreign land and longing for their homes, wondering if God had abandoned them, this chapter is a, is a cup of cool water, brimming right up to the lip with hope. And my prayer that in our own day, facing our own kind of 
weaknesses and disillusionments, that we would be encouraged as we take a long drink from the refreshing streams of the prophet Isaiah. So as we read the passage, I want you to listen for how insistent Isaiah is about the greatness of God, the greatness of God. Our big idea for the morning is is this, the greatness of God is good news for the weary. The greatness of God is good news for the weary. So listen as we read for God's greatness. Any refreshing we're going to find this morning will come only when we can get our minds and our hearts around the greatness of God. So let's read our passage together. Again, we're in Isaiah chapter 40. We'll start in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who, who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which you have spoken to all those who've put their faith in you across the generations. We ask this morning that you would bring these words to life, these words that were spoken so many years ago, that by them we would be encouraged. We ask that as you've promised, your word would accomplish everything which you intend it to accomplish in our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I said that the big idea for this morning is the greatness of God is good news for the weary. I want to divide our study up into two main parts. The first part, verses 12 through 26, Isaiah meditates on the greatness of God. And in the second part, verses 27 through 31, Isaiah challenges God's weary people to rest in God's greatness. So first part, God's greatness. Second part, what God's greatness means for us. And we're going to take that journey with Isaiah, beginning with, with getting the truth of God's greatness deep into us and then considering how his greatness is such good news for us. So we've got two guiding questions, really. How is, God's gr how is God great and why is God's greatness good news? We'll start with the first question, how is God great? We're going to find three answers to this question in this passage. How is God great? Well, first, God is great in that he is the great creator. God is the great creator, both of the heavens and of the earth. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. This, this whole passage is filled with rhetorical questions, questions which assume an answer. Question, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Implied answer, God. Isaiah uses powerful imagery here to display God's greatness in creation. It was God, he says, who, who weighed out all the water of the oceans just in the hollow of his hand, who measured out the heavens with his tape measure, who weighed the mighty mountains and the hills on God-sized scales. The image here is of God as the great craftsman of of creation. God is the careful and meticulous designer of, of all creation, but more than just the care of God in creation, Isaiah's showing us the absolute and outsized power of God in creation. He's using this really vivid image, right? The biggest, grandest things 
You know, all creation, the, the oceans, the mountains, the heavens are like a handful of beans in the hand of the Almighty. When God made the universe, his power was so great that he just effortlessly measured out the unsearchable oceans in his palm. See, he easily weighed out the immovable mountains and hills with his heavenly scale. The greatest things in creation, which are so daunting to us, are like playthings to God. There's nothing in all the world which, in lifting it, would cause God to break a sweat. Isaiah continues, verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? More rhetorical questions here. The answer is no one. No one. In the creation myths of the, the pagan cultures around Israel, there is this story about Marduk, this god who supposedly created the world, um, but he was unable to create anything until he had consulted Ea, the, the, the god of wisdom in, in this pagan pantheon. So Isaiah's addressing that. This is, uh, this is Jewish apologetics in his day. Not so with the one true God, says Isaiah. No man shows him counsel. No one taught him knowledge in the beginning. The true God who made all things by his mighty power did not take counsel when he made the earth. He didn't have to ask an engineer to take a second look at the blueprints. He didn't have any editor double check for typos. Our God is perfect and infinite in both his power and in his wisdom. He doesn't get stuck, stuck on a problem he can't solve. He's never met anything too big for him to move or any riddle too difficult for him to solve. Skip down to verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Look up, Isaiah is saying, look up. Look up one of these crisp November nights and bask in the heavenly holiday lights. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. Answer, God whose knowledge of the unsearchable cosmos, of which we've only scratched the surface, is so intimate that he actually calls the stars by name. And he, he holds them all together. Some of you know, Miranda and I took in a, a, mama, a mama cat and four kittens. We have a total of six cats in our house right now. So, if any of you are interested <laughs> in a kitten or two, they're very cute. But it's amazing to watch the, the mama cat with her kittens. They, they wander around, and they get into all sorts of trouble. Um, so she's constantly yelling at them. Constantly yelling at them. Um, and, and they listen to her. 
she, she calls them, it's like four scurrying, and they, it's not a, never a straight line. It's like, and then eventually they're all there, right? Because she's constantly yelling at them, not one is missing. She can just about keep them all in order and in place. Kitten herding is a particular skill. <laughs> Star herding is next level. That's what Isaiah is saying God does. He keeps them in line. The stars. And he's never lost a single one. The stars were an object of fascination and even worship in the ancient world. But even the great stars, Isaiah says, fall under the sovereign greatness of God. When he says the word, they get in line. Not one leaves their place in the galaxy without his say-so. Isn't God great? He's the great creator. We, we could just stop there and spend our lifetime soaking in that. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. How is God great? Well, first, he's the great creator. And secondly, he's the great king. He's the great king. Isaiah makes clear here that God is the great king over all of the nations, all the princes, all the people. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, and they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. The exiled people of Judah in this moment sitting in exile, could very well have been tempted to feel like a plaything in the hands of the great nations of the Near East. Geographically, uh, Judah was situated right on a trade route between the great empires of Babylon and Assyria to the north and to the east, and then the great kingdom of Egypt to the south and to the west, a bit like Poland sandwiched between Germany and the USSR in World War II, dwarfed by the empires on either side, the people of Judah must have been tempted to despair that they were at the mercy of these great empires which were around them like a, a ball of yarn in the hands of a kitten. And this despair must only have grown more significant after much of the nation was then taken into exile. The temptation was to look at the great nations of the world and to feel that God's people were at their mercy. Not so, says Isaiah. The nations are like an insignificant drop in the bucket of God's grandeur. The great nations of the world are like fine dust to him on a scale, too small to notice or to throw off the weight. Verse 16, get to something huge. Lebanon was known for its, its fine trees, um, its fine cedar. The, the kings of Israel imported it to build the, the temples and their palaces. And Isaiah says, if you were to burn all the forests of Lebanon at once, and then on that great huge fire, then offer all of the animals of Lebanon for a sacrifice to God, even that 
biggest sacrifice of this great nation would be too small an act of worship to do justice to the dignity and the greatness of God. Verse 17, Isaiah says, The nations are nothing before him, not that they're too small for his notice, but that before him, in his presence, compared to his glory, you would barely notice them. A mouse is a great thing in the presence of ants, but in the presence of a lion, it's a snack barely worth catching. This whole passage is an effort by Isaiah to give the people some perspective. Everything that's held as grand and momentous by the nations around you pales in comparison to the power of your God. The mountains, the seas, the the stars, the great nations of the world, which command so much awe and respect for most of the world, are like dust compared to the majestic mountain of God's greatness. Get some perspective, Judah, Isaiah is saying. Everything is small compared to God, even the greatest nations. Skip down to verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows them. He blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. Don't you know, Isaiah asks? Haven't you heard? God reigns above the earth. And in comparison to the great might by which he stretched out the heavens, the people of the earth are like tiny insects. Caught in the crossfire of international politics, Judah could look to their God and know that though the great emperors of the earth could have their way with Jerusalem and Judah, their God was having his way with the princes of the earth. Judah felt like the grasshoppers, but in fact, the great kings of the world are the ones who are nothing in comparison to the might of the hand of God. Verse 24, uh, these, these princes are transient and temporary. They're like the stubble of a wheat harvest. In the spring and the summer, they'll grow in strong, but it's, it's inevitable. The harvest is going to come, and they're going to be all cut down. The strength of the princes of the nations is an illusion. None of them will last forever. All of them will one day meet their God. God's the great creator of all things. He's the great king over all the earth. And finally, he's greater than any idol. Go over to verse 18. In light of everything he said so far, in light of the greatness of God over all things in heaven on earth, Isaiah asks, verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? Who is like the Lord? Who's, Who's like him? Who can compare to his great power? Verse 19, an idol? An idol? Seriously? 
A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He, is too, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Idols are made by the hand of man. Idols are not great. How could a, a human-created, hand-carved thing compare with the God who carved out the oceans with his hand and holds the stars in his palms? The greatness of God dwarfs idols. So our first question was, how is God great? And Isaiah has given us an answer. God is great in every way. He's the great creator of all things. He's the great king over all the earth. And he's the great God who dwarfs every idol. Second question. Why is the greatness of God good news? It's easy when we're faced with difficulties, when we're worn down by trial or by sickness or by pain or suffering to turn into ourselves, to focus inward on, on the, the pain of whatever struggle is confronting us. But in seeking to send words of comfort ahead to the generation that would be exiled, Isaiah didn't direct their attention inward. He doesn't encourage them to throw a pity party to dwell on the difficulty of their circumstances. Instead, Isaiah points their gaze upward to the greatness of God, as we've just seen. Look up. Look up. Look up to God and fill your gaze with Him, with His greatness, with His majesty, with His power. Stuck in Babylon, slaving away for those who took your homes, look up. The way to find strength amid sorrow, the way to find refreshing amid weariness is to look up. The greatness of God is good news for the weary. And Isaiah shows us three ways this is so. First, God's great knowledge means that we are never forgotten. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Imagine being one of those people carried away into exile and pondering what had happened to them. What was God doing? Didn't he care? Why had he let them be torn out of their land, out of the land that he had promised them? Had he forgotten them? Verse 27, my, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. And Isaiah says, look up. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Look up, Judah. Remember your God. 
Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? Implied answer, you have. Remember what you were taught. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, Judah, that the Lord your God is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Look up, O Israel, and remember, his understanding is unsearchable. And even in the shadow of exile, in the uncertainty of a foreign land, your God is still God. The city you've been brought to is very far from Jerusalem and home, but it is not so far that God cannot see you. The greatness of God is good news for the weary. Judah had to be reminded, God hasn't forgotten you. Your troubles haven't been overlooked. God knows everything. He doesn't forget anything unless he decides to. This is good news for us, too. When, when we're weary with affliction, we may wonder if God really sees, if God really knows. How, how could all this be happening if God really cared? If God really knew. Listen again to Isaiah's answer. God's understanding is unsearchable. There's no trouble you've ever faced alone or apart from his knowledge. The worst days of your life are no less watched over than your best days. Though we may doubt it, God knows all our ways. He hasn't forgotten us. Whatever hardship, sickness, grief, pain, or season of waiting we may be in, the great God of all creation knows your broken heart, and he knows it even more intimately than you do. God's great knowledge means that we're never forgotten. Secondly, God's great power means that we're never outside his reach. Verse 28 again. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Not only had God not forgotten his people in exile, even in Babylon, God had not lost an ounce of his strength. He is the creator. Look up. He made the stars. He doesn't get tired. God doesn't take naps. Judah's fate in exile was not a result of some inability on God's part to do something about it. God doesn't get worn out of taking care of his people. In other parts of Isaiah and elsewhere, God was very specific about his reasons for Judah's exile. He was disciplining them for their unfaithfulness. He, he could have stopped Babylon with his pinky finger if he'd wanted to. God does not faint or grow weary. God's great power means that we're never outside his reach. That goes for us too. No matter what may come in our families, in our community, in our church, or in our nation, God has not forgotten us, and he has not lost his power to save. His understanding is unmatched, and his power will never fail. 
His arm is just as strong to save as it was when he carved out the oceans and set up the mountains. He keeps track of every star in the universe by name, and he has never lost one. He hasn't lost you either. Why is God's greatness good news? God's great knowledge means we're never forgotten. God's great power means that we're never outside his reach. And God's great strength is available to all who hope in him. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no strength, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is an astounding thing. Isaiah calls God's people to look up, to look out of their circumstances, to Behold their God, and then he says the most amazing thing. Though these people were powerless in the eyes of the world, they could actually go to the deep well of God's strength and draw some up for themselves in their own day. Look up. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. But not just to everyone who lacks strength. You, you have to be weak to receive God's power. But specifically, it's those in verse 31 who wait for the Lord who shall renew their strength. They who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. The NIV translates this word as hope. They who hope in the Lord. It's the Hebrew, Hebrew word kavah. And it carries a really rich meaning. We don't have an exact word to translate it, but it, it, it holds both waiting and hoping in trust, kind of all together in one word. It's the kind of waiting that the, uh, the groom does as he stands at the altar waiting for the ceremony to start and for his bride to walk up the aisle. It's not a, well, maybe you were nervous. It's not a nervous waiting. It's a trusting waiting. You, you know she's coming. Those who wait on God confidently, expectantly waiting for his strength will renew their strength. The way to refresh yourself in God's strength is simply to look to him and to trust, to wait on him and his deliverance. Verse 31, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The imagery is beautiful here. I'm sure you've heard this, this verse countless times. None of us would say no to this, I don't think. Mounting up on eagle wings. Running the race of life without tiring. Walking without so much as a hesitant break. But what does this look like practically? When we trust the Lord through trial, we don't sprout literal wings. And we're not instantly transformed into marathon runners either. But we are given real, 
palpable, renewed strength. And this renewed strength comes by the, the conduit of, of waiting. This, this hopeful, confident trusting in God that we've talked about. Waiting for the Lord, hoping in God, gives us power and strength to face anything we may encounter in this life. And that hope will carry us on even into the next. That's the nature of hope. Hope takes the joy of what's coming tomorrow and, and uses it to empower living today. That day when you've got a package coming in the mail, you're really excited about it, and it's going to come like in the evening, and the whole day, like, oh, the package is going to come. It hasn't come yet, but it changes how you see the whole day. Even small hopes are, are powerful things. We have a much, much bigger hope than that. For those of us who know God, who have come to, to meet our maker through faith in Jesus, we have a sure, confident hope that we belong to him. We were once separated from our mighty God by our sin and by our rebellion, but because of the cross, because God the Father sent his son to die the death we deserved, for our sin, we've, we've been brought close, right? This is the gospel. Jesus has brought us back into fellowship with God. And not only that, those of us who've believed, we, we have the hope of eternal life. For all who look to Jesus and believe in him, we have the promise that one day when Christ returns, he will raise up our bodies to everlasting life. God is making all things new through Christ, and we will live, if we've trusted in him, eternally, together with him, in resurrected, perfected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. That's a great hope. That's our hope. All our hope is in Jesus, the Messiah, the promised salvation which Isaiah promised to Judah and to all Israel. The greatness of God is good news for the weary. As we close, I want to consider two ways. Two ways that you might be feeling weary or worn down this week. And I want to look at how we can wait for the Lord in those two things. So broken bodies and broken nations. Broken bodies and broken nations. First, broken bodies. We've had a lot of illness in our congregation in the last couple of years. Um, maybe you feel weary from it. What do we do? How do we keep going? We wait on the Lord. We look up. We trust him for deliverance. We wait for his timing. We pray for his deliverance in this life. If he can heal, we pray for that. We trust his timing. We trust his goodness. We remember his power. And we trust that whatever valley God may lead us through in this life, we have a sure hope of heaven in the next. I almost feel like I don't even need to explain this principle to you. You've seen it at work. 
up close and personal in the lives of members of this body. Waiting on the Lord is a superpower. It gives men and women who are just barely hanging on physically a mental and spiritual power that baffles the people who are around them. And some of you are leaning hard into that kind of waiting on the Lord. I praise God for it. Keep leaning in to that hope, even as we're weary with broken bodies. Broken bodies, broken, broken nation. Maybe you're weary from our broken nation too. There's a lot going on and you don't need me to summarize it all. Our nation is fractured in many ways and in many ways is in rebellion against God. Meditating on the brokenness will only wear you down. This is why I say, turn off your TV. Look up. Don't look in, look up. Remember Isaiah's words. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a buck a bucket. God brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. God is not threatened by our politics. God has not overlooked us and he is not powerless to act. The events of our nation and of the rulers of the world are far outside our control, and that can lead us to panic, but they are not outside God's control, and that should lead us to trust. So in turmoil, we'll find our strength not in kings or princes who fly away like chaff when the wind comes. We'll trust in the Lord. We'll pray to him for the fate of our nation, we'll plead with him to act, to heal our land, and then we'll leave the rest to him. And we'll be faithful with what we can control. We'll wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is for all of us, whatever trial we may face. Weary from facing COVID-19? Wait on the Lord. Worried about the election? Wait on the Lord. Is your heart broken for lost friends and family? Wait on the Lord. Go to him. L look up. Remember who he is. He is the great creator, the great king, greater than any idol. His great knowledge means that you will never be forgotten. His great power means there's no situation you face which is beyond his reach. Whatever you're facing, there is strength available by looking to him in hope and trusting that he will save. Look up and wait on his deliverance. Let's pray. Mighty Father, prayerfully we're more aware of your greatness now than when we began. We've been freshly reminded of your might and your power over all creation and we're in awe of you. We've looked up and we've seen how you carved out the, the heavens, how you hold the mountains in your hand. Nothing is too great for you. We thank you, Father, that as intimidated or as wearied we might be by our situation, you are not intimidated 
and you are not weary. So we hope in you. We put our trust in you. We thank you and we long for the eternal deliverance that we'll experience in Christ when one day you will make all things new. But until that day, we, we live in hope, in trusting expectation as we wait for you to come and take us to be your bride. Pray that you give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gavin, if you come up and uh, we'll sing our final hymn. Our final song before we leave is number 686. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Let's sing the first and the last verses. shelter from the stormy blast 